From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker and editor of the CQ Budget Newsletter, and I'm joined today by Peter Cohn, the editor of the budget team at CQ. Welcome back to the podcast, Pete. Thanks for joining me again. Thank you, David. Good to be here. So before Congress left town last week for the Memorial Day recess, House and Senate appropriators settled on their plans for how to divvy up the federal budget pie when it comes to discretionary spending. But the two plans have some major differences that will have to get resolved in coming months. The House plan has angered Democrats, while the Senate plan has bipartisan support. So, Pete, help us understand what are some of the key differences here that we should know about? The major differences are on the non-defense side. The, uh, the Bipartisan Budget Act of 2018, the two-year budget cap deal back in February, pretty much set the defense increases on, on autopilot, if you will, for the next couple of years. The non-defense side was increased in an equal amount as the defense side. But uh, as we know through the appropriations process, they have what, what are known as these 302B allocations, where they divvy up the money among all of the funding bills, the 12 spending bills. Uh, defense is, is mainly the defense bill, but it's got a couple of other, other accounts in there. The non-defense side is the source of, the, of a huge divergence between the uh, House and the Senate because the House went all in on border and homeland security, increasing that bill by about almost $5 billion over the previous year, leaving very little to go around for the other spending bills. So the Democrats raised a lot of concern about, for example, the labor HHS bill, which is flat funded over the previous year, the interior environment bill with the EPA funded flat funded over, over the previous year. So uh, that was a big issue for the Democrats. So you had a partisan vote uh, in that chamber in uh, the House Appropriations Committee uh, where the Republicans were able to prevail because they have a majority on the committee. In the Senate, it was much different because you had uh, a bipartisan negotiation between the chairman and the ranking member, Richard Shelby and, uh, and Patrick Leahy. So uh, Homeland Security bill in the Senate only got a, got a much smaller increase, about $600 million over the previous year, enabling them to provide increases for all of the domestic spending bills. Not, not hugely sizable increases, but something nonetheless, not even keeping up in, with inflation in some cases. Yeah, and so which side is likely to prevail in the end, would you think, when a compromise has to get written? You've got a situation where uh, to get the bills through the Senate, you've got to do something probably a lot closer to uh, the Senate spending allocations uh, because the House is, is, a, is a partisan body. They, can, they have the rules that they're on their side. The leadership does. They can just bully, you know, bull through bills without uh, Democratic support. You can't do that in the Senate. So ultimately, if you're going to get something to the president's desk, you've got to do something closer to the Senate allocations. However, you do have the president. He's got to sign the bill. Uh, otherwise, you're not going to get a veto-proof majority in the, in the House and, and the Senate. So the president, the White House, they have to be at the table. Mick Mulvaney, the budget director, they've got to be on board. But that, um, is, an, that is an interesting tension you bring up because we, we know that the president is insisting on funding for his wall on the southern border. And it seems like the House appropriators were trying to help get there with because they're willing to boost Homeland Security by like $4 billion, I think is the figure. Five billion, yeah, close to five billion. billion. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the House wrote their allocations, the, the Republican leadership, and it's very unusual because usually the, in the House, they will mark up a couple of bills uh, at the subcommittee level. They'll go to the full committee. So usually you get two or three that are released before the, the full slate of 302B subcommittee allocations are, are released. 
In this case, they went through about six or seven bills. They released them all before, before the Democrats even saw what the full slate of allocations were. And the Democrats are you know, historically most concerned with the labor HHS bill. And so what the Democrats saw- Because that's education and health programs. Education and health programs, yeah. So what the Democrats, you know, what they knew was coming, but they just couldn't see it yet, was the fact that they were going to they were going to plus up all these accounts for defense was locked in from the budget deal. They knew what the defense number was going to be. That was going to eat up about half of the increases. They saw that the president keeps talking about the wall. He's talking government shutdowns and so forth. So the Republicans were going to give a lot of money to the Homeland Security bill. And there just wasn't going to be anything left for the labor HHS bill, for instance, a couple of the other bills like the interior environment bill that Democrats care very much about as well. You know, the Democrats could see the writing on the wall, but there was nothing they could do about it uh, in the House. But the House was writing these allocations with one particular uh, outside constituent in mind, and that's the man sitting in the Oval Office. So are there any other key differences we should be aware of in these plans? I think what's interesting, and this is also something that's been driven by the White House to some extent and, and, the, and the budget director, Mick Mulvaney, which is the reduction in, uh, in spending for the uh, OCO account for the State Department foreign aid programs, the state foreign operations bill. Uh, that was also sort of an informal agreement as part of the budget deal in, in February that they were going to cut the amount uh, of OCO money allocated to the State Department and, uh, and foreign aid programs. So they cut that by about $4 billion. And so, uh, you know, in years past, when they've been struggling to come up with money to give to the labor age bill, for instance, or some of the other domestic funding bills, what they've done is they've taken the money out of the foreign operations bill uh, and they've made up that difference by backfilling it with OCO money to keep the State Department and foreign and uh, USAID and other uh, international programs whole. They didn't have that luxury this time around. So just to keep the state foreign operations bill flat over the last year, they've had to devote pretty sizable increases to that bill, eating up money that would have otherwise gone to, say, labor HHS or interior environment, financial services, some of the other bills. Now, the OCO account's been coming down for the last few years because I think members of both sides have realized that it's, maybe we shouldn't be using OCO as a slush fund. But it sounds like the big battles to watch for is the fight over Homeland Security funding, because we've got a 4 to $5 billion gap there between the plans, the fight over the border wall, and then the fight over labor health education bill, because uh, the, House, the House plan provides no increase for that, right? No increase, right. Yeah. And the and, Senate and, plan and has about a 1% increase, so it's not much, but at least it's something. But the Senate now, plan has about $2 billion more for that. Bill. Yeah, a little bit more than $2 billion above the current year in the House. But hanging over all of that, of course, also is this rescissions package. Because if this rescissions package gets through in its current form, and yeah. it's fully, this is the effort to claw back money that's already been approved. Correct. From yeah, previous correct. years. From previous years, sometimes going back to the 90s. So this is money that's just been sitting around, hasn't been spent yet. So if this rescissions package goes through and it's now the legality of it has been blessed by the general, uh, excuse me, the government accountability office in a report this past week. So it's likely that it would be subject to the expedited procedures if it's able to get out of the House and get over to the Senate. It couldn't be filibustered. If this bill passes, and again, we have questions about whether or not it can pass, uh, even among Republicans, but nonetheless, if it passes, that's going to take away a big chunk of money that typically the appropriators use to then plus up the labor H bill. So what you could actually be left with are, are uh, pretty sizable cuts to those programs uh, below the previous year 
if this rescission bill package, because, for example, last year they took about $7 billion out of the, the children's health insurance program, and they used it to spend it on other things like National Institutes of Health, CDC, other agencies in the, in the labor HHS bill. If they don't have that money this year to, to take out of CHIP, they're not going to have that money to put back into the, those other programs. So they are, they're able to get the labor HHS bill up substantially in, in fiscal 2018 over the previous year. They will, you're looking at the number actually being lower than that this year if the rescissions bill goes through. Now, the Republicans will argue, well, we gave labor HHS a 10% increase in 2018. They've already argued this. That's a, that's a lot of money, $16 billion they got increased uh, over the previous year in this last omnibus. They don't need to get another increase this year. Well, you know, try telling that to the advocates for the programs for, you know, uh, for biomedical research and, and uh, children's health and so forth. And Democrats will be very upset about that if there's no increase. Yeah, I mean, no yeah. increase. But again, I want to make this clear. We're talking about cuts, billions of dollars of cuts to the labor HHS program if the rescissions bill goes goes through. So forget about flat funding. Flat funding would be great as far as the advocates for this bill goes. If the rescissions bill goes through first, those programs will be cut by billions of dollars below the previous year. All right. So so where is all this headed, Pete? When do we expect to see any resolution to this? Well, the leadership in, in both chambers, they've made a commitment. They're going to start bringing the appropriations bills at their current allocations in their respective chambers. They're going to be bringing them up. They're going to be doing these, these minibus packages of two or three or four bills at a time. Uh, first one comes up in, after Memorial Day in the House. That's going to go over to the Senate. The Senate will take it up and swap in their versions of it. So we're going to see where, how the votes, the votes play out uh, in the House and the Senate for these bills. That'll give the leadership a sense of what they're dealing with later in the year. But again, you know, things are really going to slow down this summer. They are going to pass the bills in their respective chambers, but they're not going to get the uh, conferences worked out until after the elections in all likelihood. They might be able to pass a few bills before the election, some of the easier ones where you don't have dramatic differences in allocation between the House and the Senate. Uh, some of them come to mind, like you know, legislative branch bill, which they all care about because they're members of Congress. They're funded under that bill. Uh, energy and water. There are a few bills that you know have minor differences between them on the money. Those, so you could see some action, but on the big picture, the biggest issue that you know the, on the border, the homeland bill, the labor H bill, those are probably things that won't get worked out until after the elections. Uh, and then, depending on the outcome of the election, you could see some of these issues punted into the new year if the Democrats take back the House, uh, if they somehow are able to take back the Senate, even. You know, you could see a CR, a continuing resolution that just kicks us over until when they, you know, until Nancy Pelosi takes the gavel and can rewrite the bills to in, uh, in Democrats' favor. But so we'll see. We'll need some kind of stopgap funding measure to avoid a government shutdown again by the time the new fiscal year begins on October first. Yeah, they always do. Okay. So we'll be watching to see which chamber prevails in this battle over spending allocations once Congress returns next week and begins to take up spending bills on the House and Senate floors. My thanks again to Peter Cohn, CQ's Budget and Appropriations Editor, for joining me. Thanks, Pete. Thanks, David. And thank you all for listening. I'm David Lerman, your CQ Budget Tracker. We'll be back next week. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or NPR One. And for more budget news, you can visit rollcall.com or cq.com, or find us on Twitter, the handle is at CQNow or at Roll Call. See you next week. <laughs>